So there's this made-up story about the devil uh, where he once advertised uh, all of his tools for sale at a public auction. And the, when the prospective buyers assembled, there was, there was one oddly shaped tool which had a label on it that said, not for sale. And when the devil was asked to explain why this was, he answered, well, I can spare my other tools, but I cannot spare this one. It is the most useful implement that I have. It is called discouragement. And with it, I can work my way into hearts otherwise inaccessible. When I get this tool into a man's heart, the way is open to plant anything there I may desire. Now, this is a made-up story, but I think there's a lot of truth to it. Our enemy is sneaky, and if, if he can't outright deceive us, he can discourage us. And discouragement can have such a negative effect in our lives. It, it can mean a, a loss of passion, a loss of bravery, loss, a loss of confidence. And when you just look at the word itself, discouragement, it means when your courage goes down, your boldness goes down. And you might feel dismayed or overwhelmed or maybe frightened about the situations in life that you're facing. And if the enemy can get you to focus more on your problems than on God, then he has won a great victory. So the bottom line that I want to get across to you this morning is this. Discouragement disrupts God's work but encouragement erupts it. Discouragement disrupts God's work, but encouragement erupts it. it. It explodes it. Discouragement, it is like a wet blanket to God's purposes in your life. Encouragement is like lighter fluid. It's, it's gasoline to the fire. And so we need to actively fight against discouragement or we're going to miss out on God's best for our lives as individuals and as a church. And so, in this passage, that in the story we're looking at this morning, we are going to see the interplay between discouragement and encouragement. And we're continuing our sermon series this morning, uh, called From Ruins to Restoration, looking at the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. And uh, two weeks ago, our worship coordinator, Matthias Austin, he preached an excellent sermon on Ezra chapters 3 and 4. And where we left off in the story, in chapter 4, it says that the peoples around them set out to discourage the people of Judah and make them afraid to go on building, that is, the temple. And then it says they bribed officials to work against them and frustrate their plans during the entire reign of Cyrus, king of Persia, and down to the reign of Darius, king of Persia. See, this bribe that they were making ended up working. And eventually, the king at the time, King Artaxerxes of Persia, uh, the world's leading superpower at that time, he orders them to stop rebuilding the temple. And the end of chapter 4 ends by saying, thus the work on the house of God in Jerusalem came to a standstill until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Discouragement. Discouragement disrupted God's work. Now, Literally, the people at the time were facing legal opposition, and that, that was certainly one component of why the work stopped. But they were also fa facing discouragement, which led to their disobedience. And we're going to unpack that throughout the sermon today. Discouragement is a powerful tool in the hand of the enemy. But encouragement is stronger. Encouragement is stronger. 
And so that is why when we get to Ezra chapter 5, God sends two prophets, Haggai and Zechariah. Two books of the Bible are named after them. And they and God sends them to encourage the people with the truth of God's prophetic word. And this is what is going to turn everything around. Discouragement will disrupt God's work, but encouragement is going to erupt it. And so in this sermon, I want to look at seven discouraging lies that we often get tricked into believing. And I want to combat them today with the truth of God's word so that all of us can do the important work that God calls us to do in our time, in our day. So number one, the first lie that we believe is that this isn't the right time. Now, I'm going to be pulling a lot from the prophet Haggai and what he said. I want to look at what he said to the people during the time of Ezra. Haggai says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Now, we might smugly assume that uh, us reasonable people would never, would never think such a thing or say such a thing. But do we really think that the people of the Bible are all that different than we are? I mean, we know that the King Artaxerxes, the Persian king, had given an order to stop the work on the temple. Now, there's a new king, King Darius. It's kind of hard to keep up with the kings, but King Darius is in power now uh, by the time we get to Ezra chapter 5. And they are probably wondering, is the new king going to stop them or permit them? Should they risk disobeying civil authority? Should they risk fines, imprisonment, persecution, or beatings? I mean, we all, and we all know that uh, this community that has returned from exile they returned to a land and a community that was broken. And it would be extremely difficult for them financially. In fact, Haggai will tell us in chapter 1 that there was a drought and that there was economic hardship. And not only that, but rebuilding the temple was going to be very expensive and it would be hard. They would actually have to go after work, after working in the fields, and take stones and put them on top of another. It was hard work, a lot of hours. And so do they really have the bandwidth right now, the, the energy right now for such a difficult project? So perhaps they reasonably conclude, you know what? The time's not right for us to do this. There's a drought going on. There's a lot of people in financial hardship. Uh, the king had given an order. Really, you look at the situation, this is not the right time to rebuild the Lord's house. Sounds pretty reasonable, right? But the Lord is going to reveal a contradiction and, and he speaks through the prophet, prophet Haggai in verse 3. The word of the Lord comes to Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house, God's house, remains a ruin? See, God's house was literally in ruins. It was not built. But the people's houses, they are built and they are paneled. So somehow they found the time they found the money. They found the energy to build their houses. And the truth is, don't we always find time to do what we want to do? Don't we always find time to do what we think is important and valuable? Of course we do. But we are reminded by Haggai that doing God's work is the most important thing that we can do. It's always the right time to be zealous for God's work. I like what Joyce Baldwin says in her commentary. She says, 
Haggai continues to call God's people to zealous service. Half-hearted allegiance is no allegiance. To think that any time will do to become serious about his cause is to fail him completely. He is waiting to bless, but he cannot do so while his people are apathetic and self-centered. Whew, that's a powerful quote. You see, any time will not do to be serious about the work of the kingdom. Today is the day. Now is your time. Now, we may never say this out loud, but we, but we listen to these lies and we tell ourselves these lies that the, en- that the enemy speaks to us and they keep us from a passionate zeal for God. And it can start at a young age. You know, if, if, you're, if you're a child, you might say, well, you, a child might say, well, I'm only a kid. I, you know, I, I, need, I need to learn more. You know, or a teenager might say, well, you know, I need to wait until, until I've had some fun or, or until I know more, until I have more experience. Or we might say, well, I need to wait until I meet somebody or establish my marriage and establish my career. Or I need to wait until my kids are older. Or I need to wait until I establish myself financially or my own home. Or I might need to wait until my kids are out of the house or when I retire or when my life slows down, I'm just too busy. Friends, the only time you have to serve God is right now. Right now in this moment, this day, this minute. This is the right time. This is the right time because it's the only time that you have. Even in this crisis, it's the right time to be zealous for God's work. Now, brothers and sisters, I'm not saying that all of our service to the Lord will be the same in every season of life. But I am saying that there is no season of life where we are permitted to check out of the Lord's service. He wants your full allegiance and zeal in every season. And we only have right now to give that to God. So don't let the enemy discourage you and trick you into putting off God's call and God's service Today is the day to do his work. So that's the first lie we believe. We believe that it's not the right time. The second discouraging lie that we believe is we say, I have other needs to take care of first. I have other needs to take care of first. So the prophet Haggai, he essentially calls out the people of his day for for putting their own needs and their own houses before the house of God. The house of God is in ruins, but the people's houses are built. In fact, they are paneled, it says. Now, this word for paneled in Hebrew, uh, it can refer to the house uh, being complete, being finished. That's the panels, the finishing touch. Um, but it also might mean that this, this paneling is a, is a decorative piece, a luxurious piece, a luxury item. Now, whatever the meaning here, the prophet Haggai points out that the people put their own needs and desires before God's. They found the time and money to do it, but they didn't find the time and money for God's work. Now, if we take, if we take the panels to be a luxury item, which some scholars do, I think we find a comment that is very appropriate to where we live in our suburban life. And I like what Joyce Baldwin says again. She says, the conflict between expenditure on luxury homes and worthy support of God's work is still with us. Isn't that true? I mean, we live in a culture where essentially, even in these hard times, all our needs are met. We have food, we have water, we have clothing, we have homes, we have cars, 
We have computers and phones in our pocket. We have all that we need and more, and yet we still experience a conflict. We still find time and money and energy being devoted to luxury items, and maybe we are not giving more uh, even though we have access. We still experience this conflict, don't we? And so I'll just simply remind you this morning that we are stewards. Everything we own is not ours, it's God's. And so spend it how God would spend it. Manage your finances for the Lord and his work. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these, meaning all the things that we need, will be given to you as well. See, we normally think the opposite. We think we need to get what we need and and want first, then we can seek the kingdom. Jesus said it's the other way around. Seek my kingdom and God will take care of all your needs. We get discouraged from our calling because we believe the lie that God's not going to come through for us, that God's not going to meet our needs, and that we ought to look out for ourselves first. But the truth truth is God is our Father and, and He will provide. So Haggai encourages the people and they admon- he admonishes them and encourages them. And look how their hearts change. The, the go- some governmental leaders in chapter 5 that Heather read for us, they come up to him and ask them, what are you doing building this house of God? And here is their official response that they write. In chapter 5, verse 11, the people say, we are the servants of God of heaven and earth, and we are rebuilding the temple. I love this response because essentially people ask them, who are you and what are you doing? And their response is, we are servants of God and we are rebuilding the temple. What if someone asked you that? Who are you and what are you doing with your life? Let your response be, I'm a servant of God and I'm at work building his temple, his spiritual temple, the body of Christ in the world. So that's the second lie that we believe, that we have other needs to put first. The third lie that we believe that discourages us is we say, I'm tired and I don't feel like it. I'm tired and I don't feel like it. Can I be honest with all of you? Sometimes I am tired and I don't feel like it. I'm human. That happens. And, but the reality is sometimes we are legitimately tired and we need to rest. But friends, there is a difference between being tired and being apathetic. There's a difference between being tired from working hard for the Lord and being tired of the Lord. There's a difference between needing rest and needing a kick in the right direction. See, there's a lot of encouragement in Scripture that I could talk about right now that says do not grow weary, do not grow tired with doing the Lord's work. And so what do you do? What do you do when you feel down and discouraged and apathetic? See, what we need to do, friends, is we need to turn to the spiritual weapon of prayer. Look, look, look what uh, the text says in Haggai, what God did for the people. It says, The Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shiltiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Jozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people, they came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their, their God. You see, God can do something in our hearts that only he can do. He can stir us to do his kingdom work. And when King David, when he was so discouraged and downcast, he didn't just mope to himself. He turned to God. Look what he says in Psalm, in Psalm 42. 
Uh, It says, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you. I'm feeling discouraged that there's something internal in me that's, that, that, is, that, I, that I can't even name. I'm tired. I don't feel like it. But God, I remember you. I turn to you. When we are discouraged, the enemy is going to tempt us to run from God rather than running to God. You'll be tempted not to turn to him in prayer, not to use the weapon of the word in prayer, not to use the weapon of praise and worship, but those are the things that, will ov- that help us overcome these things. You see, if, you, if you're apathetic about God, that's a spiritual emergency. That's a spiritual emergency. If you're apathetic about your maker, about your savior, that's an emergency, friends, and we're told to do something about it if we feel this way. In fact, Romans 12, 11 says this, says this, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Keep it up. In fact, this, this phrase in the NIV, your spiritual fervor, that could be translated, be set on fire with the Spirit. In fact, the Greek word comes from the word to boil. Be boiling, to keep the temperature hot for Christ. Be boiling for Christ by the power of the Spirit. So brothers and sisters, do not get comfortable with a lukewarm Christianity. Don't grow comfortable with a lukewarm faith. In fact, the book of Revelation says the risen Jesus will judge those who tolerate being lukewarm towards him. He wants you hot or cold. And so if you've been apathetic about God for some time, you need to do something about it. That's an emergency. Cry out to God to change your heart, to stir your heart. Confess to some trusted Christian friends what you're going through. Be earnest and repent. Turn to God. Don't run away from God. Don't get comfortable with spiritual apathy. And so make your prayer to God. Oh God, stir my heart and make me on fire for you. Set me on fire with your Holy Spirit. We need that. Don't let the devil discourage you and keep you in that apathetic spirit. That's a a third lie we believe. Number four, we often believe the lie that we can't do it, it's too hard. We can't do it, it's too hard. We often, the enemy will trick us into thinking that our problems and our projects are bigger than our God. And that's not true. And Haggai has a very short sermon for the people who needed to rebuild the temple. In fact, it says in in chapter 1, verse 13, Haggai gave this message. The Lord says to the people, I am am with you. I am with you. That's it. That's that's the sermon Haggai gives. I'm with you. Friends, God is with us. The maker of heaven and earth. Is anything too hard for God? Is anything too big for him to handle? Absolutely not. That's why Paul says in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In fact, when Paul was experiencing some type of affliction, some type of suffering that he called a thorn in his flesh, and we're not sure what it was, but Jesus reminds Paul and tells him, my grace, my grace is sufficient for you. Friends, God does not always remove us from difficult situations. Don't we know it? But he does promise to be with us and to give us the grace the real power, the real help that we need to get through it. And so God especially 
gives us this strength to see his work and his purposes accomplished in the earth. One scholar says, as Haggai promised Yahweh's presence for those involved in the kingdom work of the temple in the Persian period, so Christ promises his presence for his disciples. So we know that we aren't really building the physical temple anymore, right? Although we use a building and we're doing a building project, but we know that the real temple of God is the body of Christ on earth. And Christ's presence is with us as we build up the body and do his kingdom work. So brothers and sisters, we have to encourage each other with the truth that we have God's empowering Holy Spirit strength and power with us every day. And the enemy will trick us into being discouraged and that things are too hard for us and too big for us. Now, we have to be careful about this. Remember in your Bible reading, go back to the book of Numbers and what happened to that first generation who, who God had brought out of Egypt and they were supposed to go into the promised land and they sent some spies to, sco- to go scope out the land. And it says that uh, Caleb comes back and he says to the people, we should go, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. And the rest is history, right? The the people do not enter the promised land. Why didn't they enter the promised land? Because 10 people, 10 people in the community discouraged them. And they, they kept saying how hard the task was going to be. Look at these enemies. Look at these people. We can't do it. Friends in the church, we need Caleb's. We need, we need people who will say, yes, we should go. We should go and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. That's what we need. Discouragement can disrupt God's work, but encouragement can erupt it. So we should, we should be saying, yes, we should be creative in our ministries during this year, during this difficult season, for we can certainly do it. We should reach new p- people for Christ right now, for we can certainly do it. We should finish our Vision 2020 campaign all the way for we can certainly do it as long as the city of Wheaton will finally give us a permit. Friends, we should stay in touch and love each other through this season for we can certainly do it. Nothing is too hard. Nothing is too big for our God. Nothing is bigger than him and he is stronger than any problem we face. Amen? Amen at home? That's our God. The fifth lie that we believe is that we we say we are not where we used to be or where we want to be. We are not where we used to be and we are not where we want to be. Haggai chapter 2, verses 3 through 4. It says this. Who of you is left who saw this house, the Lord's house, in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it seem to you like nothing? It did. Remember two weeks ago? But they say, now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Jozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work. For I am with you. I am with you. You see, there is a comparison to how the house of God used to be in its former glory before it was destroyed. And they're comparing it to how it looks now. And really, the reality is, wherever we are in life, 
as individuals or as a church, we can often find a gap, right? We can compare where we are to maybe with where we used to be, or we can compare it to some future ideal version uh, of ourselves or of our church out in the future, right? And the problem is we can become totally discouraged by the gap. You can become so overwhelmed by the gap that you see in your comparison. And we can get overwhelmed with how big the task is going to be to try to close that gap. And so a hat guy, he doesn't ignore the gap. He points it out to the people. But then he says to them through the Lord, be strong and work anyway. And, he's, and he goes on, to, the Lord is going on to say, eventually this house will be greater than the former because of God's plan. But the gap is only closed by work. It's only closed by work. Hard work every day, day in, day out. See, it wasn't going to be some heroic effort over a a one-week period of time. It was going to be day in, day out. We're going to have to go to the temple after work. After plowing the fields, we're going to lay one stone upon the other. One stone at a time. Back-breaking, laying stone at a time. We are going to build this temple. See, I believe in the kingdom of God, consistency, consistency is what we need. And this is what the Apostle Paul was getting at in Galatians chapter 6. He says, the man is going to reap what he sows. And he says, so therefore, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. See, a farmer works every day. A harvest can't happen in a moment. It can't happen in a day or a week. No, it's day in, day out. I'm going to go sow. I'm going to go weed. I'm going to go water. I'm going to go tend to the plants. I'm going to do the right thing every day. So we can do the same thing. We love the people around us a little every day. We do a little good deed every day. We love our church family a little bit every day. We read two chapters of the Bible every day. And over two years, you will see how God has spoken to you and that you've read the whole Bible in a devotional manner. See, it's the little habits every day that make a difference. So we have to remember consistency, consistency. Finally, or not finally, but number six, the sixth discouraging lie that we believe is that my service doesn't really make a difference. And this kind of flows from the point I just talked about. It is going to make a difference over time. But also, we need to remember that we're part of a bigger picture. And Haggai reminds them of this. He says, this is what God's going to do. The glory of this present house, God's house right now, will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. You see, these people who are doing the the menial work of laying one stone upon another, they are building the temple that our Savior Jesus Christ was dedicated in, that he walked in, that that he taught in. I mean, this, this was the glorious place where, where the Savior came. And, this, what, and how God used that. They were part of this bigger story. The same is true for us when we are part of God's glorious church. You are participating in something that will be eternally glorious. You may not see it now, but when Jesus comes again and we are all raised, it will be the most glorious thing. And everything we have done for the Lord will have made a difference. In fact, why, this is why the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, after talking about the resurrection, 
He says, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It's not in vain, friends. It will make a difference eternally. Whatever you do for the Lord will last forever. Our possessions, our earthly triumphs may fade, but what is done for God lasts forever. And finally, we reach number seven. The seventh lie that we believe is that I don't need spiritual encouragement, community, or accountability. Now, we never, we never, made act, never say this, but we act like it. You see, God sent Haggai and Zechariah to the people. Without them encouraging them and reminding them of the promises and commands of God, the people would not have succeeded. And so in order to accomplish God's purposes, the people had to be part of this larger spiritual community of encouragement, submitting themselves to the prophets who spoke the word of God to them. And I think for us in our time, certainly the church's 2,000-year-old tradition of weekly worship is wise. At the very least, at the very least, we need spiritual encouragement and spiritual community weekly. But the reality is, you can take all these truths that I told you today and you can try to encourage yourself and that may not even be enough to dislodge the work that the enemy is doing. You see, we need each other. The, the book of Proverbs remind us, reminds us that iron sharpens iron. In fact, the writer of Hebrews says, encourage each other daily. So who are you encouraging? Who are you encouraging? Now, so I know some of you, you have, you have a texting thread with your Bible reading plan or, or your small group, and that, that's a great way to keep encouraging each other. And some of you, you might need to seek out somebody who can encourage you. And perhaps some of you, God might be calling you to a ministry of encouragement. You could further, so you, the, the work of God th- through this place in, in your life could explode, it could erupt if we had 10 times the amount of encouragers that we do. I mean, simple text messages, emails, notes. We have so many tools available to us in this time that encouragement has never been easier. Perhaps some, some, God is calling some of you to a ministry of encouragement. Friends, in, discouragement disrupts God's work, but encouragement erupts it. It's stronger. And because of this ministry of encouragement, the people were able to finish the task. This is how chapter 6 ends. Let's go to the next slide. It says, the Jewish elders continued successfully with the building under the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah, son of Edo. They finished the building according to the command of God of Israel and the decrees of Cyrus, Darius, and King Artaxerxes of Persia. This house was completed on the third day of the month of Adar in the sixth year of the reign of King Darius. They did it. They accomplished the goal. They finished the task that God had called them to do. You see, the enemy wanted to disrupt God's work in their lives and in our lives and in our church and in our world all through discouragement. But we can overcome by God's power with the ministry of encouragement. So friends, when we believe the lie that says this isn't the right time, may you remember it's always the right time to serve God. When we're believing the lie that I have other needs to take care of first, remember when I seek first God's kingdom, all my needs will be met. When we believe, believe the lie that we're just so tired, we don't feel like it, we cry out to God and say, God, set me on fire in the spirit and stir my heart. 
When we, we believe the lie that says, I can't do it, it's too hard, we can say, yes, we can certainly do it, for Christ strengthens me. When we believe the lie that says, we're not where we want to be, we can say, no, I will sow today, and I will reap a harvest if I do not give up. When we believe the lie that my service doesn't really make a difference, we can remind ourselves, my labor for the Lord is never in vain. And when we believe the lie that says, I don't need spiritual encouragement, community, or accountability, we remind ourselves that iron sharpens iron, and I need others to sharpen me in my walk with God. Combat those lies with the truth of God's word. What's one lie that you're believing right now that you need to combat with the truth of God's word? Friends, today my prayer is by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would be set on fire for God. Remember that nothing is too hard for him and he has the power to overcome all discouragement in your life. So be set free today, friends, and remember that everything you do for the Lord deeply matters.